Did you know we all have amounts of parasites and mold living in our body? And that when the amounts get too big, it can severely harm your health and change you as a human being? Me neither, but now you do. This and many more insights in the episode with the knowledgeable Jessica Alana. Oh, and please remember, it significantly helps me with inviting more and more guests if you turn on notifications on Spotify and Apple Music. Enjoy the show. Hello, Jessica. So happy to talk to you. We tried to record it a couple of days ago, uh, but due to connecting issues, we had to do it again. Very happy to uh, talk to you today. Um, We're going to talk all about parasites and mold. Um, The people that have been following me know know that I've been using this ivermectin medicine uh, because I saw you using that. Um, and I <clears throat> wanted to try that as a experiment as well. So we're talking about that as well today. Um, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm really good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, of course. Um, I've been following you for a while now, um, obviously since the last Biohacker Summit in Amsterdam. You had a very touching talk. And until recently, I noticed that you obviously know a lot about health Um, i'm very uh, curious uh, when you speak about peptides but until recently i noticed that you um, spoke a lot about molds and parasites and that is something i've been um, curious about because i have some symptoms that could relate to uh, those things and i think it's a highly under uh, it's it's not spoken a lot about uh, for the general public do you agree with that i completely agree so parasites are denied by traditional medicine as you probably already know it was pretty hard for you to get ivermectin in europe and mold illness again it's not classified as an actual diagnosis in europe or the uk only in the USA is mold illness accepted. Interesting that there's such a difference in how they um, perceive the danger of, of, of parasites and mold because it can be so impactful. Um, before we dive into the topic, um, could you elaborate a bit on how you started your health journey? I always find that interesting when people know so much about the specific topic. Sure. So I was 15 and I was searching the World Wide Web and I stumbled across a collective community of vegans on YouTube. And I was like, whoa, these people, they live such a nice life. They don't harm any animals. They look so healthy. I love animals. I want to be healthy. And at the same time, I was kind of in and out of an eating disorder. So this played really well with my whole restrictive diet ideas and what I was going through. So I went vegan for eight years. So that was the kind of beginning of my health journey. And obviously, in hindsight, we know that veganism is really bad for you. But my real journey, 
my adult journey into health was when I lost my mum to suicide in 2019. So I had just graduated, or I was graduating my biomedical sciences degree. So I was in my third year and we lost my mum on the 21st of February. And, you know, as you know, exams and everything were coming up, but I just became so ill. I had PTSD, I had acne, I had, you know, chronic candida. I must have probably had thyroid issues, hormonal issues, leaky gut, because I was still vegan at that point. And things were really bad for me. And in the end, I obviously sought professional help after wanting to take my own life. I was very close to taking my own life. And once I sought professional help, I started to work on my mental health issues, which had obviously been there since I was 15 or earlier, even 12. And then I joined the biohacking community. I started to eat meat again. I still love animals. And then I gathered some new certifications. So I'm a certified health practitioner. Even though I have a degree in biomedicine, that's more for the pharmaceutical industry. And now I'm certified in mold and Lyme. And I work with clients and I love helping people. So that's my, my story and how I got into health. Wow, that is quite an intense journey. I mean, you hear a lot of biohackers that uh, come from a place of adversity before they get very healthy. But this is quite an intense story indeed. It, I think it's very, very powerful that you uh, um, gain control over such such life events. And um, I think it is also very interesting because uh, you are very knowledgeable in the traditional medicine uh, health uh, sector, but also in the more, how can we say it, in the more alternative biohacking side of health. Um, I think that's that's beneficial for for both of both of those worlds um because a lot of times you see the the critique on biohackers is that they are not schooled in in health in general um so i think that's very valuable um how did you um finally get into parasites and mold uh so specifically because uh, it's it's not something one could stumble in just out of nowhere, right? Yeah, so parasites, the whole topic of parasite detox, parasite cleanse, do I have parasites? Are they in my brain? Do I have a worm growing in my brain? That whole topic is full of nuance and it doesn't really have any clinical standard. At the same time, we've both used ivermectin, but ivermectin is so politically charged. So if you talk about ivermectin, you're put into one political bracket, especially in the USA. So for me, it was important to remove the nuance, remove the political charge, try the actual drug that has clinical standard and that has been proven time over time to work for eradication of parasites, which it did for me. So that's how I got into parasites. And as my research has evolved, they are really pesky creatures. 
as we all know, Toxoplasma gondii can cause bipolar. And actually, if you can remove the Toxoplasma gondii, which is the parasite you pick up when you live with cats, you can see a dramatic reduction in bipolar. And this is proven clinically. And then also with other parasites in the gut, obviously they cause gut issues, leaky gut, <clears throat> and candida issues. They bring all sorts of other co-infections with them. So that's how I got into parasites, is basically to remove the nuance and bring a clinical standard into that world. Because in holistic health, you have to be careful. So people always say you have to be careful of the pharmaceutical industry, you have to be careful of traditional medicine, they just want money and profits. Holistic health, no one in holistic health is working for free. But the only thing with holistic health is that there's no clinical standard. So I'm, that's one of my goals, to create clinical standard. I think that is a nice goal. I think it will contribute to the credibility of this sector, don't you think? Yeah, I do. I really do. Yeah, because um, a lot of people outside of the biohacker industry are looking at us, quote-unquote, um, and they say they have no knowledge about this issue. They are not scientists so they have no right to talk about it so yeah i'm very happy that you want to take that approach um i I think i saw in a podcast a few years ago somebody saying um they that parasites have so much impact um that you can almost say the parasites leading the body instead of the brain when they have when they are in um in, in, in a specific, in a certain level in, in your body. Do you agree with that? I do. It's the only thing is these statements, they're very hard to quantify. So how do you bring a Murray model, which is mouse model and give them parasites and then look at their behavior. And then how do you do that in human trials? You know, it's, it's yeah, so it's hard difficult. to quantify. So Really, all we can do is understand the mechanism of what parasites can do. Yeah. For example, release toxins, control neurotransmitters, make you act higher risk, and so forth, and extrapolate those mechanisms into human behavior, which mirrors what the mechanism of the parasite can do. So that's the only tricky thing in parasitology. I can imagine. And um, when I started using ivermectin and even before I um, got interested in in parasites is uh, I spoke with my friends and I was talking about it. That's what I religiously do. They get annoyed by me all the time because I I have a new topic I dive into (laughs) religiously every now and then. Um, But when I spoke about it, they were like, I'm not having parasites. Not everybody is having them. Is is that true? Is not everybody having them? Or is it everybody has them, but only to a certain extent, and some people have it more than them, and then it becomes dangerous? How, how does that exactly work? So the probability of person A being totally exempt from planet Earth and having no form of parasitic being living inside of them is extremely low okay so i would say that to a degree 
everybody probably does have one or two hitchhikers living inside of them. Okay. These beings have evolved over thousands of years. This is how they survive. They don't survive without a host, right? So you can't go outside and see a parasite living in the soil. Oh, no. Yeah, of course. So they, they only survive with us, in being with us. So I would say that, yeah, the probability of not having a parasite is low. But then regarding how much harm the parasite can cause. So I've heard a lot of conversations based on this topic. Ayurveda will actually say that the parasite is only there because your terrain is poor and you have a really bad terrain. So maybe you are toxic, you are acidic, which I don't really agree with this term acidic, but in Ayurveda, or perhaps you have too many you know, hormone disrupting chemicals, you have leaky gut, you had candida, lime, whatever it is, your terrain is poor and parasites can only survive in a poor terrain. Whereas a lot of people say that, no, parasites, they just require a host to survive in and you are the host and they will do anything they can to become contracted by you. So everybody does have parasites, but it's it depends on you know how healthy you are, whether they're affecting you. But I do think undergoing a clinical standard of parasite cleanse every six months should be on everyone's agenda. Okay, every six months. Interesting. And um, would you recommend that doing by using the ivermectin I just used? Or um, do you have other treatments as well? Yeah, so ivermectin is probably the best arrow in the quiver if you want to undergo an in-depth results-driven parasite cleanse, from my experience and from all of the clinical data. Ivermectin was actually given to some continents of the world which really suffer with parasites free. So that's how good this drug works in eradicating parasites. On the other hand, you can use holistic anti-parasitic regimes as maintenance. So for example, you could use ivermectin and then you can continue with holistic anti-parasite regimes. I actually took fenbendazole as well. At the same time, the last three days of my ivermectin experience, and I didn't really like it. It didn't increase the efficacy of ivermectin i feel like ivermectin on its own moves the needle interesting um and before we uh, dive more into what we could do more against parasites i think it is important because you also know uh, mentioned like the impact on neurotransmitters i don't think every listener knows the impact of the of the parasite so maybe we should focus on that a little bit uh, first um when a parasite is in our body and it gets bigger and bigger and it has more impact um um along the way what could be symptoms of those um parasites 
So if someone was to, say, eat pork, which is pretty high in parasitic load, and then they were to contract maybe an egg or larvae or even live small parasite, and then this parasite get bigger. Is that what you mean? No, no, no not really. Sorry, I, uh, I lagged a bit. Um, what What is the symptom of... Um, for example, I gained weight, I feel brain fog, um, I feel some intolerances that for food that I uh, did not had before have before, and uh, energy issues, all sort of uh, all kind of um, parasite related symptoms, right? How can one recognize having parasites in their body? Because they do not show up in your toilet when you're not cleansing, right? Yeah, that's so that's kind of a tricky question because the symptoms that a parasite can give you is so wide. So these are termed umbrella symptoms. So brain fog, food intolerances, I've put on weight, I can't concentrate, I've got a skin rash. So these symptoms are umbrella blanket symptoms that they're kind of hard to pinpoint to one specific cause to or to one specific area of the body, right? Mm -hmm. So this can be difficult. The only thing that I can say is that the best actual way to measure if you have parasites is to try a parasite cleanse it's extremely low risk even lower risk if you do it with holistic measures and you will feel the difference after so there you'll have your data your before and after all right so the best way to check if you have parasites is just do a preventative um uh, cleanse that that is the best way for parasites is what i am uh, what i understand i would say so you can also have colonoscopy and you can also have stool testing but to my experience I know people who've had colonoscopy and obviously multiple people who've had stool testing and it always comes back negative for parasites when you know they the person obviously does have them so there's some nuance there as well because they uh, clinch onto your um your gut is what I understood is that right with colonoscopy, they're not really looking for parasites. They're more looking for irritable bowel syndrome. So mm. maybe like some contention of the gut wall, for example, like ulcers of the gut wall. And then stool samples, they work really well for like dysbiosis or having a positive microbiome, but not so much parasites. All right. Um, and I mentioned before that a lot of people think they never have them. Uh, what are some misconceptions about having parasites or about parasites in general? Yeah, I mean, I think it's quite egotistic to say, oh, I would never have parasites, especially if you eat raw fish, sushi, raw meat, tartar, and you enjoy planet Earth. I mean, it's, you know, it's 
you know, it's very like egotistical to say, I don't have a parasite. And I think people deny the possibility of having a parasite because it's pretty gross. I think it's more emotional than actual logic. Yeah, I got a bit emotional about them as well. I took the medicine first and I was like, I'm afraid to go to go through the toilet right now to uh, to see if if I have them, um, but but they were not there. So there's definitely something uh, I have to work on. But um, yeah, I find it so interesting that people do not believe that they exist inside of inside our body, um, while it's we are just part of nature, right? So. Um, I think it is more than logical that every now and then we just, yeah, we we just uh, grow a little bit of nature inside of our um, gut and 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 everything. But um, I know there are also uh, parties. I'm, I'm, I cannot recall her name right now, but um, that do cleanses with supplements. How do you think about that? Yeah, so holistic parasite cleanse. I've tried in the past. Mm -hmm. I didn't get the same results as to when I used ivermectin. So the only thing with herbs is that the quality of the herb really matters. So if you look at the studies online, which says that herb X works to eradicate parasites, the study will have used very high quality herb and most of the time it's kind of in vitro because you can't really measure it in vivo with a mouse. You could try, I'm pretty sure there's some studies out there, but most of them are in vitro, which means cell culture. And yeah, I believe that holistic anti-parasite clans, I'm definitely open to them. They can definitely work. They take a longer time, but I have not seeing the same efficacy and I'm not a fan of the pharmaceutical industry by any means but I think you do have to use the best tool in the toolbox and this would be ivermectin well I, I definitely trust you because when I um, when I heard you about this medicine I immediately went to the doctor and that is most of the time this is the last place <laughs> I'm going for for my health um, unless there's something urgent of course but um, when I took this medicine, I was talking to you about this uh, before we started uh, recording, um, I mentioned, and it's also nice for the followers because uh, they were curious what the results were of my experiment, um, is that I did not have any um, parasites in my uh, in the toilet. Bathroom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... Um, I I can only assume that it has something to do with my um, how did I call it the dosing. drainage? No, the drain. Yeah, maybe dosing as well. But I I thought about the drainage system. Um, what what you what would you say that um, was could contribute to a better cleanse? Sure. So if I'm correct you only took three milligrams a day, right? For five days? No, I took the 15 in one day. That's ah, what okay. they uh, recommended me. Okay. And, and yesterday I... I took the second dose. So like last 
Saturday. It is Sunday right now. Yeah, La- uh, s- Saturday a week ago, I took 15 milligrams in one day, and yesterday I took the second one, uh, 15 milligrams in one day. Okay, I took six milligrams every day for a week, and from what I've seen online, it is better to pulse ivermectin every day at a relatively high dose than take it all in one go. Okay, so that could could uh, contribute to um, a better result. Yeah, and, I believe so. Okay, and um, when I look at my drainage system, I, I'm not sure if they work well. Do I have to support my body in an in an extra way when it comes to uh, a parasite cleanse? Yeah. So, do you go to the bathroom every day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you Twice sweat? A day, I think. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, typically your drainage pathways will be open then. Do you have acne, eczema, psoriasis? No, not at all. Okay, and you urinate often and frequently? Yeah, I'd like to say a couple of times a day. Yeah, so I... It probably doesn't have anything to do with your drainage pathway, so... Ivermectin paralyzes the parasites. So it mm-hmm. works on their gated ion channels in the nerve and muscle cells to paralyze the parasites. So it's either a case of they were getting paralyzed and they were dying, and then they were just being kind of packed up into the stool. Mm-hmm. And because they were in the stool, you didn't see them in the bathroom. Okay. So that's that's kind of one option because if you if you have correct drainage pathways, which it sounds like you do, then they were mm. just being flushed out in the stool. Okay. I also okay. went for a colonic as well on my How last day. Work? It's basically you know an anima. Uh huh. It's like an anima times ten. So an anima is just the rectum, but the colonic pushes. It's called a hydrocolonic or gravity colonic, mm-hmm. and it pushes water very safely into your colon, and then okay. you, you basically flush everything out. So I went for one of those as well, and I released a lot. Oh, wow. Wow. I, can I just buy that on the internet, or <laughs> how does that work? No, so you have to go to a trained professional. So it's like getting a massage, it's like going to an appointment with a chiropractor. It's like trained professionals with certifications in colonics. And you can find a lot of gross videos on TikTok and YouTube, Instagram reels of people releasing huge parasites with a colonic. Oh, geez. That is really a nightmare for me, but I, I will definitely do it. Um, I will write it down actually right now because yeah when you um, start something you have to finish it right so um, and are there any downsides of using ivermectin for men it can lower your testosterone Hmm. momentarily so yeah for men it can lower your testosterone momentarily However, there is a study that says taking alpha lipoic acid can counterbalance this. 
Okay, but when it only um, affects the testosterone momentarily, it's not a big of an issue, right? I think it, it depends. Like, you know, some men are very adamant that they want their testosterone very high and optimal, like all the time. So maybe they can take alpha lipoic acid. But I okay. think generally, but really you don't want to mess with any part of the androgen system. But as with any medication, as, as with stepping out the door every day, as we're driving a car and getting on a plane, there are risks. So anyone listening to this, you do have to do your own research. This isn't medical advice. So yeah. be aware of the risks. I don't know who's listening to this. We don't know who's listening. So you have exactly. to be aware of your own risks. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's always a nice disclaimer to um, to mention because everybody is different. Literally, every body is different. Um, and I think... Um, I spoke about this in another podcast that biohacking should be an interaction with your own body and you can only interact with your own body. So if you have too many questions, whether it's the right thing for you to do, um, I think your body will answer that. And if you're not confident that your body can carry this or or, or uh, attack this, um, I think you shouldn't. Um, but definitely always ask an expert um okay so interesting um when I, I i used it for a week now two times in, in in the last week um do i have to wait for a couple of days weeks to try it again or what would you recommend so there is a very large community of parasite eradicators in the usa and it's all anonymous so the people who run this community are all anonymous however the information and the value that they give is amazing and what they recommend is that to actually use ivermectin every day for a month oh, and wow. we can yeah we can link in the show notes the links to to this community because it's all online it's all open access for free so it would be nice if people can also see that community because there's a lot of research in this community and also i stumbled across this community online on x slash twitter <laughs> yeah. and it was one of the main reasons why i actually went and got the ivermectin wow okay so for a month and then like the, the the six milligrams like you you did they actually recommend you need to dose it per kilogram of body weight oh yeah of course it's a bodily uh, body weight um yeah dependent. yeah and then so in the usa ivermectin is obviously a controlled drug where i am in thailand right now it was very easy for me to go to the pharmacist and have a really nice chat with the pharmacist and she allowed me to buy the ivermectin and gave me a smile and told me how fun <laughs> whereas as we know in the west yeah it's really hard to get this drug so they actually recommend that you can buy ivermectin horse dewormer because you can readily go and get that from the pet shop and it will work the same way as the pills no and that's way. all on the website. Yeah, that's all on the website. 
Wow, from the <laughs> as the same medicine for pets. Yeah, okay. it's the same because it works in mammals. So ivermectin is like mammalian antiparasitic eradication. Jeez, that is it's not just for human use, you know. I have to definitely get around a, a paradigm. <laughs> so you can just go by the paste. <laughs> yeah. That is funny. That's what that a lot funny. of people do. Wow. Okay, yeah, well, I I reconsider it. I I, I definitely have to think about it <laughs> a few more days, I guess. But um to think about having the same medicine as a dog would. Um sounds odd, but yeah, um I will definitely read about it. Okay, um I find it so interesting that that the parasite in your body could have so much impact that you could definitely behave like a different human being and it, it's quite logical right i mean if you um consume certain vitamins minerals um and they are not converted into some neurotransmitters for example you could you could literally be depressed without any reason for example right pardon sorry well when you uh, when they impact you that much, the parasites, because uh, they block you from consuming um, oh, vitamins, yeah. minerals, and they and your body is not converting um, neurotransmitters. For example, you can be depressed without n any reason, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's a few different ways parasites can impact your behavior so the first way is the more indirect route which you just mentioned whereas by whereas they steal the minerals and vitamins and nutrients that you are consuming and they use this for their own metabolism at the same time they can alter your gut flora which then alters your habits and your cravings per se to consume more processed food. So they love sugar, they love processed carbohydrates, they love seed oils, they love all of the nasty food. So they can cause you to have a bad diet, for example. And this can feel uncontrollable because obviously it's your actual gut sending these signals via the vagus nerve to your brain. So maybe this is one of the reasons why people end up in a perpetual state of having a bad diet. And then they can actually work directly on the neurotransmitters. So Toxoplasma gondii, which is the parasite you pick up if you have a cat as a household pet, <clears throat> it's extremely common. This parasite actually uses GABA to fuel itself as a, you know, to help its metabolism. This leaves you in a glutamate toxicity. You can't convert the glutamate to GABA and back, and you end up very anxious. Wow. To have, to, to understand the impact of that, is, is, that's insane. People could have totally different lives if they wouldn't have that certain parasite. It's insane. Um, so that is one extremely um, a, a topic that is not talked about enough, um, a cause of, of disease, a cause of depression, a cause of a lot of illness. 
but you also talk a lot about mold and the impact of it. Could you uh, elaborate on how you discovered the impact of mold? Yeah, so I was working with a client who actually had been bitten by a tick when he was seven. And he'd always felt slightly off and he actually contracted Lyme disease, which is what we later found out. But he had also been in a moldy house when he was 19 in Canada. And this got me down the whole mold rabbit hole. And the doctor who discovered mold is Dr. Shoemaker. And I actually believe he deserves a Nobel Prize for his contribution to medicine because mold is so insidious in its biotoxin pathway and what it can do to people. And almost every single client who I work with, at one point, they have unknowingly been exposed to a water-damaged building and contracted mold. All right, so um, I did not understand the name completely, but uh, I did um, hear you mention him before on the, um, on your social media. Um, when we talk about parasites and when we talk about mold, I find it so terrifying almost that our bodies are not able to release them by themselves. Is that right? Is that also true for mold? Yeah, so mold is a tricky one. So there is a certain genetic predisposition, which means if you end up in a water-damaged building and you end up in a mold-infested building, then your body will find it very hard to remove the mycotoxins and inflammagens from your system. So mold is like... There's a whole range in mold. It's like a spectrum. So you have some people who will live in a moldy building and they'll get nothing more than maybe an acute sinus issue or maybe some treatable form of asthma. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have people with the HLA genetic predisposition who can never clear the mycotoxins and they end up stuck in chronic inflammatory response syndrome because their innate immune system has been switched on and they just can't turn it off. So you you never are in a in in a, in a normal state. How how did they call it? Hormesis. Yeah, you're never. Yeah, you're never in homeostasis. Homeostasis. That's what I. Was yeah, hormesis about. is adaptive stress yeah exactly that's what i was looking for yeah um so mold when people think about mold they think about the the greeny blue black spots in 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 the bathroom maybe um in the most extreme way but it is more um it's it's in more houses than people are aware of right is that right it's extremely common. So, first of all, 22% of the US population has the HLA genetic predisposition. Really? This hasn't been, yeah, 22%. This hasn't been extrapolated to global, but it's estimated anywhere between 20 to 25% of the global population has the HLA genetic predisposition. 
Okay, so w- when it is, is is so dangerous, is it more about um, getting more, uh, getting your body stronger to be to have a better defense against the mold, or do we have to remove it more out of our environment? Because I can imagine that when when we like uh, thousands of years ago we wouldn't have the comfort of a clean home, right? And we were able to live with it. Um, So how does that work? Well, someone who has this genetic predisposition, they Mm -hmm. cannot take preventative measures into not having their innate immunity switched on because they have the genetic predisposition. And that's just Mm -hmm. the mechanism that happens to them when they come into contact with mycotoxins. But to answer your previous question about the frequency of mold in homes, it's Mm -hmm. very common. So basements are really bad for it. Any old buildings in London or New York or anywhere really, old buildings are, you know, pretty bad for it. Even a new build. So even if there's a slight gap in the roof or in the attic or anywhere that can allow water it only takes around 48 hours for a micro microorganism colony to spawn there and to start living and to start creating these inflammagens and mycotoxins okay um but when uh, you encounter such a moldy environment or I got in a new home this this year, um, and I noticed a spot in the bathroom. Um, how do you get rid of it? Is is that enough? You have to remediate. Yeah. So step one of the Doctor Shoemaker protocol, and step one in holistic protocols as well, integrated protocols. Step one in any mold protocol is you need to be away from the exposure. So this can either be remediation or it can be discontinuing use of the office that has mold in it or not attending the school that possibly has mold inside of the school. So you have to remediate. Otherwise, you will never be able to clear the mycotoxins using the correct binder. Okay, there's something you mentioned, binder. That's something I definitely want to dive in uh, later. Um but clear the environment like do you have to move out of the building or do you have to clear uh, and clean the, the whole building where you're living in so again it depends on if you have the hla genetic predisposition okay so, so someone that's who the most, that's the most yeah. important part first mm-hmm. so maybe for someone like so it's basically one in five right So sometimes you have a family and only one is severely ill and the other members of the like family of five and the other members of the family, they don't understand. So they don't want to remediate and they don't want to spend the money on remediation. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on the severity. So someone who doesn't have the HLA gene, maybe they can just use some bleach and then get an air filter and do it the kind of DIY at home version. Mm-hmm. Someone who has the HLA gene. So this is 
when you've had someone come and they've done they've done an UMI test, which is the clinical standard test for basically how many mycotoxins and how many particulates are in the air. Mm-hmm. Someone's come, they've done an UMI test. After that, if you have confirmed mycotoxins through blood analysis and then urine analysis, and you are severely ill and you failed the VCS test, and there's a high, high probability that you are so severely ill because you have the HLA-DR gene, then yeah, you should probably pay and either move out or have your whole house remediated. Wow, that's, that's again, just like the parasites, it's, it's very impactful and people do not speak about it. But how do how do I know if I have the H, HLH gene? Yeah, that's a tricky question. So in the USA, where this is widely accepted, you can go to lifeextension.com, which is a super common supplement brand, and they actually do testing for the HLA gene. Mm-hmm. Also, LabCorp do testing for the HLA gene. In Europe, I have actually yet to find a lab that advertises the HLA gene. I even checked Self-Decode and 23andMe, and I've actually worked with some clients who had 23andMe and they couldn't find the HLA gene there. I'm pretty sure if you have some data from 23andMe or Self-Decode, then you could upload this to a website which could tell you if the, if you have the HLA DR gene but it's very specialized for example in the US there are laws now about mold illness because it's a very typical case where someone is living in a rented building or a rented house and the landlord doesn't care and doesn't want to remediate Or sometimes maybe the office or the house or the building next door is infested with mold and the guy next door doesn't care. So there's so many barriers that a person who has mold illness needs to be aware of. So the the, the impact in uh, on on the our health is not um, so recognized. Uh, so that's why do people do not take it very seriously is that right yeah what tends to happen is that people get misdiagnosed Mm -hmm. with chronic fatigue syndrome fibromyalgia some mystery illness or some one in 100,000 autoimmune disease and really if you looked at them through the lens of mold or Lyme or chronic inflammatory response syndrome or the HLA gene, you'd be able to figure things out. And this isn't my opinion per se. This is the collective clinical work of Dr. Shoemaker, Dr. Andrew Heyman, all of the world leaders in mold illness. This is what they see in their practices as well. Wow. Well, it, it, it maybe it is even more danger than I thought before uh, before we started this conversation. Um, but there are tests to check 
if you have them, if you have mold, right? I remember you posted a test on your Instagram story. I even did it myself uh, where I had to contribute uh, a couple of dollars uh, to make that test. It was an eyesight test, am I right? Yeah, the VCS test. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people say to me, is the VTS, is the VCS test fake? Is it a scam? Goodness gracious, how on earth is a online test going to tell me whether I have mold illness? Mm-hmm. I can tell you the VCS test was developed in the 1950s. It's a visual contrast sensitivity test. So it measures whether you can sense the difference in contrast. So it will ask you to decipher between black lines, gray lines, white white lines on a background. What it is actually measuring is inflammation of the optic nerve. And it's also measuring inflammation of the optic artery. So a lot of people think that this test has no value. What is this test going to show me? If you went to a doctor's office and you performed a visual contrast sensitivity test, it would be exactly the same. The only thing which I think stops people from actually understanding the severity of this test is that it's so easy to do in the comfort of your own home. And that's what the mold illness and the chronic inflammatory response syndrome practitioners and community have worked hard to provide for you. Well, I, I think it, it it is really nice to be able to do such a test at home. And I can only imagine, I, I find it very logical that a test has to include a visual aspect, right? When you are impacted by mold, um, I think your visual and your cognitive performance decreases uh, significantly. So, um, mm-hmm. And it's just like having an auditory hearing test. So imagine the symptom of mold illness was you lost your hearing you wouldn't be like no way this test is fake right because (laughs) because but because it's like visual people think it's fake and i don't mean this in the wrong way i don't think anyone is trying to scam you for 15 dollars for you to do a test no exactly and even if it was, uh, it's it's not a not the biggest loss. But no, when I took the test, it 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 seemed like very logical questions and tests. Um, again, the same with parasites. I'm, um, you you mentioned binders. What are some tools to, um, yeah, to hmm. to weaponize yourself against the the danger of of, of nature (laughs) so mold or parasites of no for mold in this case okay so there is a huge debate with mold illness surrounding which binder to use so i'm gonna try and give the least biased answer and i'm just going to explain what I know so far. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Shoemaker and Dr. Andrew Heyman, so just for re-referencing, Dr. Shoemaker was the doctor who discovered mold illness and who put everything together for mold illness. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
He recommends cholestyramine, and so does Dr. Andrew Heyman. So it's a prescription drug, and they say it's the only binder that can bind two mycotoxins because of the specific charge and because of the size. It's 1.4 angstroms in size. And they see incredible results in their clinical practice. And this has been used as the clinical standard since 1997 for mold. Okay. Then you have another group of practitioners like Dr. Neil Nathan, who was actually working with Dr. Shoemaker and then they fell out. You have another group of practitioners who say you don't need to take cholestyramine. Clay can work, activated charcoal can work, zeolite can work, and you can take a combination of these binders and you're going to feel better and you're going to overcome your mold illness. Now, if you had asked me like a week ago, I would have said, no way, that's nonsense, you must take the cholestyramine. What I will say is that, again, it's important to look at it like a spectrum. I think if someone is severely ill <clears throat> and they need help now and they need the mycotoxins out of their system now, I don't think there's any point messing around with other binders. And I think just give them the cholestyramine because you do see an 80% reduction in symptoms using cholestyramine. <clears throat> However, if someone isn't that ill, they don't really have the HLA-DR gene, but they've got mold in their environment and they're working their way through it, then yeah, okay, perhaps there's no point in them seeking out a prescription to take cholestyramine. Why not just give them the other binders? Alternatively, you can use both. So maybe you could give the really sick person both. You know, maybe you can pulse the cholestyramine alongside the other binders and so forth. So it's a it's a point of contention and it's also a point of drama because in the past when I have said on my social media that zeolite, clay, and activated charcoal don't work, I had a lot of backlash. <laughs> I can imagine because the whole biohacker scene is full of those binders, right? I uh, they were promoted big time by by Dave Asprey and stuff. Um, but he, Dave Asprey, has a documentary with Doctor Shoemaker called Moldy Movie, uh -huh. and there is no way that Doctor Shoemaker would have given Dave anything other than cholestyramine. So I, I don't really know there. Maybe it's just business. <laughs> mm -hmm. I. Uh, And I'm not saying that people don't get better using those other binders. I just think, in my opinion, I work with doctors to actually prescribe the cholestyramine. And is that difficult to get in the Western world? No, it's not. So I, I have a really amazing network of doctors who I work with who are very clued up on mold. So they're not essentially mold practitioners or chronic inflammatory response practitioners. They have their own specialization. So I work with one doctor. She's an anesthetologist. So she helps put people to sleep during surgery. But she's very open to using cholestyramine. So as part of working with me, all the fees with her are included. When the time comes, I send you to her 
to have a consultation with her and that's how you access your cholestyramine. Interesting. So it, it is it, it is actually possible to to get the medicine because that is yeah it, it's it's difficult because um when I spoke to my doctor this was for my parasite glands not for anything mold related but um I did my due diligence. I mean it was limited of course because I'm not a professional but um I was like look I'm an autonomous patient um I'm careful with what I put in my body. And I want specifically this medicine. And she was like, well, we're not going to do that because it's it's a secondary medicine or something like that. Yeah, or off-label is called or something. Or like off-use or something. Exactly. And I was like, but it's my body and I need care. I need you, I need you to care for me. So how are you going to deny me this? And of course... It, it's not always the best way to do that. Um, I would definitely not recommend it to do always do it like that. Um, I'm a bit of a, how would you say that? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would not recommend it uh, taking that uh, route. I think it's okay. I mean, you pay taxes and then it's a really low risk drug. It's not like you're asking for morphine. <laughs> no, no, of course. Um, I, I'm, I'm still... Um, I still agree with the way I did it because yes, indeed, it is my body. I pay taxes, but I don't think it is the best way to just go to your doctor and say, look, this is what I want uh, because not every patient knows the uh, re repercussions of what they are taking, right? So it could also... Yeah, to, of course, it, it yeah. has to be done. You have to make your own self yeah. critical analysis of exactly. what you actually want to do exactly and that that is why i was that this firm to my doctor because i know i did my due diligence and i also i got information from you and from a, a, a lot of other uh, sources but um it is strange that there are resources out there and maybe even solutions for severe problems and it is not accessible for everybody um, i still find that difficult sometimes um, because when i stumbled on the mold and uh, on and parasites and the impact of them i was like to who am i going to because not my doctor's not going to help me so i have to do my own due diligence and then go back to the doctor but um how are you going to change that for us <laughs> Yeah, well, ivermectin, I'm in Thailand right now and, you know, I can only abide by the country's law, okay? Mm -hmm. So if I work with someone and they're in the EU and they're in the UK or they're in a place where ivermectin is prescription only, mm -hmm. then there's no way I'm going to post ivermectin from Thailand to your door. No, no. <laughs> which I've been asked to do, which I would never do. No, I understand. So, you know, what I can say is that I can mm. help provide all the information that you need to make your own educational and um, self-analysis on whether you want ivermectin. And then you can use that knowledge and information to have a discussion with your doctor who then can prescribe you the ivermectin. Uh, 
in that way okay or you can reach out to an independent prescriber so there are independent prescribers within the uk and the eu who based on their own judgment may or may not prescribe the ivermectin however the likelihood is that they will prescribe it based on the fact that they are an independent prescriber and these doctors tend to have a more open mind does that exist in the eu as well independent prescribers yes it does it's just like a private gp oh oh i was not aware of that okay so that Mm -hmm. makes it a little bit easier i'm sure it costs a lot more than a, a general gp right it's around $180 for an hour with a private GP. Ah, okay. Okay, so it is it is a bit more expensive, but still accessible. It's reasonable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, I mean, And you can have, enough. you can request and have the discussion about multiple descriptions in one sitting mm-hmm. as well. And when you say uh, $180 for an hour, I only get 10 minutes at my doctor, so <laughs> maybe it's a good yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. To do that. I know some independent prescribers charge like 120 as well. Mm-hmm. So it, there's a range, but you're looking at like 100 to $200. Okay. Well, indeed, it seems reasonable. Well, I find it interesting because um, in another podcast, we, I think it was with Edward uh, from Nordcode. You, I think you know him as well. Yeah, I love him. He's so yeah. nice. Yeah. He's, I love his products. Yeah. This is amazing. And he's one of the kindest oh, guys in the industry yeah definitely as well yeah i I also call him the, uh, my biohacking father <laughs> but he he's like, like the og <laughs> yeah 100 but i was talking to him on the podcast and we were describing biohacking like being the entrepreneur being an entrepreneur with your own body and um this is definitely not easy for a lot of people because yeah you know it is not you cannot walk around the corner and get a medicine uh, or um, you, you just know with the snap of a finger you have parasites or you're suffering from mold disease. But um, I find this so important that people at least discover it um, and maybe you end up uh, not having it. Well, power to you. I'm, I'm happy for you. But it is so valuable, so valuable and so important to just discover if you suffer from it because it it highly impacts your health um and i'm wondering if you have just a a a takeaway for the people uh if they just hear it in this podcast for the first time what would you recommend them for parasites and mold in general so parasites this can kind of be more diy Mm mm-hmm So parasites, you can, it's just easier to digest. So it's like, okay, well, maybe I take walnut hull and clove and wormwood, or maybe I want to take it up a notch and have a discussion with either my primary care physician, or I want to book an appointment with a private GP and use ivermectin. Or, 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 or you can find horse paste but not recommended but you know up to you (laughs) so parasites is more diy when it comes to mold you are looking to reach out to a professional like myself or to a professional remediator mold is really tricky 
and it has to be done right, especially when you have the HLA DR gene. We've only just touched the iceberg on what mold is. There's also the reduction in alpha MSH and VIP, and then there's Marcons and the endocrine system being disrupted. And there's a reason why Dr. Shoemaker has a 12-step protocol that you must undergo with a trained practitioner. So mold is a bit tricky. Okay, so that's more difficult to treat yourself, or it may be impossible to treat yourself. What what is the 12-step process uh, you have to walk through? Do you know that at the top of your head? Yeah, so the first one is removal. Mm Mm-hmm. The second one is cholestyramine. The third one is addressing the Marcons. Well, the fourth. Could, could you elaborate on, on addressing? Marcons is um, multi antibiotic resistant coagulant staph, neg- negative staph infection. Okay. And it's this type of staphylococcus infection that resides in the nasal passageway of a person with mold because the nasal terrain has completely been eradicated by the low alpha MSH and VIP. And then you have this chronic overgrowth of this negative antibiotic resistant pathogen in the nose. Okay. So it's a whole other cattle of fish that you need to address in mold. And this is where a lot of holistic practitioners go wrong. Mm-hmm. They manage to get the person out of the exposure and then maybe they give them something like a binder from Salcool. And I love Salcool, amazing brand, probably one of the best holistic binders out there. But then they don't address the Marcons and they don't address the ADH osmolarity and then they don't address address the endocrine system and disrupted androgens. And then they don't give the VIP peptide. Wow. So it it goes so deep that every when you are um, damaged by mold that it is on such a cellular or even genetic level impacted, and I can imagine that. A- <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> on that topic, there is a whole book called Transcriptomics and Mold, mm-hmm. and there's actually seven hundred and eighty four genes within the mitochondria that are destroyed by mold. So a lot of holistic practitioners, I mean, I've heard some pretty scary stories. I've heard about people just giving turpentine from mold. So mm-hmm. like just turpentine, which is really? pine. Yeah, pine resin. Yeah, I met a guy and I'm at naturopath in the sauna the other day and came across the topic and I said, what do you do? And he said, oh, I just give them turpentine. And I was just like, okay. I, so, I cannot imagine yeah. consuming that. How orally? It's like a turpentine tincture liquid. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Turpentine is amazing. Like I really love turpentine, and it's used a lot in Russia for different kind of ailments. So it does have its use. It's just not in mold, you know. Okay. Okay, interesting. I only know it from paint removal <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's an excellent supplement, to be honest. It is really good. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so then if you don't correct these genes at the level of transcriptomics, 
then the patient never really gets better. So yeah, you, you have to, with mold, it, there has to be a clinical standard. Andrew Heyman is a lot more integrative. Mm-hmm. So he puts people on like a six month preparation and then you take the cholestyramine and then he puts you on many other really nice integrative supplements to help you along your journey. Whereas, whereas Dr. Shoemaker is a lot more cookie cutter. So he's like, no, just do this 12 step protocol and you know, it works. And to his, you know, method, it does really work. Okay. So which one would you prefer? I prefer to use the Andrew Heyman protocols. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he, his backbone is Dr. Shoemaker's protocol. It's just, he includes a lot of integrative and holistic therapies to cushion the protocol, which people really like. So I prefer to use Dr. Andrew Heyman, it seems but I, I love Dr. Shoemaker. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned him a lot. So I think uh, people should check him out d- uh, as well. Um, okay, so we were at step four, were we? Yeah, so step one is removal. And yeah. then step two is the cholestyramine. Step three is the Marcons. Step four is when you handle the androgens. Step five is when you look at the ADH osmolarity. Step six is when you retest for the mole-specific inflammatory markers. And then I have to remember it, but step... It's basically you have to retest again for the inflammatory markers, retake the VCS test, Mm -hmm. then you add in the VIP, and then you retest again for the inflammatory markers. Okay, so the retesting is a big part at the end of it. Yeah, of course, retesting is a big part. Yeah. Wow. So when we um, uh, start this process, how long does it take approximately? It takes a while. There's no faffing around here. It really does take a while. You know, we're not talking three months. It's more six months. Jeez. Yeah, of course. And is it expensive to start a process like this? So it depends. So some people have a very small budget because maybe they haven't been working for three, four years because they've just mm-hmm. been so ill. Yeah. And maybe they've spent thousands on other tests or other misdiagnosis only to find out that it was a moldy dorm room that they were exposed to 20 years ago, which has got them to where they are today. And that's an, that's an often case. So you would think that that's, you know, a very rare case, but it's not. So it can depend. You can, you know, if you're going really bare bones, you can confirm with a VCS test and then a mycotoxin test. And then you can complete the Dr. Shoemaker protocol very bare. So you don't really have to retest after at the upper ends of the pyramid because these tests can cost a lot so some people if they really don't have a large budget they go from a improvement in the vcs test results 
and also symptomatic relief. Whereas if people have a large investment, then yeah, you can test every month, you can test at the beginning, you can test at the end, you can do all of the HLA, DR, gene, haplotyping, you can do the transcriptomic testing, you can do multiple inflammatory marker testing, multiple urine metabolite testing. So it really depends on the budget. But either way, the goal is to actually get the person well. And you see about an 80% of reduction in symptoms after the cholestyramine. Okay. Oh, that, that is a quite, um, quite a reduction indeed. Um, so I definitely underestimated it a bit, even though I, I read about it and I, of course, I've been, I've been following you, but I underestimated, uh, underestimated a bit how difficult it is to get rid of the mold. It's, it's that definitely, I'm definitely happy to hear that the parasite cleanse is a little bit more easy. So people can easily research themselves and, and start doing that. But the mold is even, you have to move, you have to uh, clean up your whole house. You even have to test your own DNA uh, if that is uh, helpful, um, of course, uh, because like you mentioned, it's not always, um, uh, how did you call it, Um, accurate It's not always necessary. No, exactly. But... um, it is it is quite impactful when we when you suffer from mold illness. It's um, yeah, so it's mold is kind of the trigger, but what you end up with is chronic inflammatory response syndrome. And how does that look for people who don't know what that means? So it's so mold illness mm-hmm. is interchangeable between biotoxin illness and mold illness and biotoxin illness are interchangeable between chronic inflammatory response syndrome. We are trained to treat chronic inflammatory response syndrome, but the mold is the trigger that obviously turns the innate immune system on when you have the HLA gene. So that's how it, that's how this all connects. Mm -hmm. All right. I understand. So, okay, um, we spoke a lot about parasites, a bit more about mold. We, uh, like you said, we only scratched the surface, but this episode was mainly, um, the purpose of this episode was mainly to make people aware um, of the problems, the underlying problems that your symptoms may not be what it seems. Um, What would you like to tell people to do to how how to start as a last take yeah so i think you know parasite we discussed how that system Mm -hmm. would go so you just inquire with your doctor or private gp or holistic or the paste so with mold if you suspect that you do have chronic inflammatory response syndrome it doesn't matter the timeline so you could have been bitten by a tick when you were seven you could have been exposed to mold in college when you were 19 so please 
be aware that the timeline, it can be your whole life. They can be 20 years difference, five years difference, 10 years difference. So it's quite hard to pinpoint when you were in a moldy house. But if we're thinking of common misdiagnosis, there is a whole list on survivingmold.com. But it's more often things like chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, ADHD, irritable bowel syndrome, these weird autoimmunes, any like mystery illness, chronic pain, brain fog, PTSD, even PTSD, which is what I had. Mm-hmm. It's the common misdiagnosis is these clinical set of symptoms such as brain fog, frequent urination. There's just so many. I mean, the best thing for someone to do would be to go to vcstest.com mm-hmm. and actually just complete the test and add me as your practitioner. And you will also be asked about your symptoms. So all the symptoms are there. And if you register with eight or more symptoms in the 13 symptom cluster analysis, then there's a 98.5% chance that you have chronic inflammatory response syndrome. Wow, that's not very comforting. Um, I did that test and I believe <laughs> that, <laughs> that the results were not very good. Um, I saw a lot of red spots on the on the results. So... Um, I'm, we, we might have a talk in the, in the near future. Um, I will definitely include all those links in the, in, in the show notes, of course. Um, do you have any anything any else? Uh, any wow, I'm, I'm stumbling a bit. Do you have any other um, easy steps they could take, or are this um, the last takeaways? That is probably the easiest one i mean it doesn't get a lot easier than completing an online test exactly and this is actually how you need to qualify for treatment so you need to be positive for the vcs test have the symptom clusters then you should either have a confirmation of mold but remember that absence isn't confirmation of absence because of the timeline it can be tricky Mm -hmm. but if you complete the vcs test the next step is to do a urine mycotoxin test and after that if you have high mycotoxins in your system confirmed by urine analysis you've got all these weird symptoms you have neurological issues because you tested positive for the vcs test and at one point in your life, you were most probably exposed to mold. Then you ticked all the boxes for having chronic inflammatory response syndrome. Okay, so can we get a urine mycotoxin test at the doctor or do we have to do that somewhere else? No. So urine mycotoxin test, like I said, the EU and the UK, mm-hmm. they don't even recognize mold illness as an illness. So there's no way. <clears throat> they're going to provide, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, mycotoxin tests. So you do have to do a mycotoxin test with a provider like myself. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. Um, and you mentioned bitten by a 
tick before? Is that something I could go to the doctor for? No, again, Lyme disease, it's more common in the US. I mm -hmm. will say that it is a lot more common in the US. Lyme disease, again, it's denied by traditional medicine. There is a whole rabbit hole about how Lyme disease was actually a biological weapon developed for the Cold War. So oh. that's a whole other rabbit hole to go down. Lyme disease is very hard to treat as well. Mm -hmm. And people end up with chronic post-Lyme syndrome. Oh, wow. I think uh, we have to uh, definitely do <laughs> do a part two in the near future because uh, we only scratch the surface. But um, I think people have, I think you have uh, spoken about a lot of value already. Um, people are aware of the dangers of parasites and mold. Um, and I think they can start their own journey in exploring if they have it and if they want to reach out to you, where should they find you? So the best way is at my email. Mm -hmm. So that's jessica at jessicaalana.com. And the A at the end of Jessica is the same A for the Alana. Okay. So it's only one A in the middle there. So jessica at jessicaalana.com. And I'm pretty sure we can link my website in the show notes and Definitely. put the email in the show notes as well. But if you want to learn more in quick, easy, digestible bites, then you can go to my YouTube and then you can go to my Instagram and my Twitter. So combined, I have around 33,000 followers. So you'll be joining my community of Lyme and mold and parasite literate beings very valuable uh, posts i can say um you also had a uh, telegram group was it yeah i did have a telegram group but i shut it down because it was getting very spammy ah yeah i had people post like political stuff yeah in I there <laughs> I, i don't know if you saw it was like quite strange yeah and then yeah it was becoming too one way so i just kind yeah. of like i deleted it and i wasn't I posting noticed. in there anymore it wasn't providing any value for anyone okay. really okay well um a lot of social media to find you your email and your website will be mentioned in show notes definitely um jessica it was really nice to meet you to talk to you from all uh, across the world um on the other side of the world i mean um We only scratch the surface. We might do it again in the near future on a more in-depth episode about mold is uh, what I'd like to do. Um, thank you so much for your time, for your knowledge. And until next time. Yeah, until next time. Thank you, Jessica. 